Hello, welcome to the CityWire Funds Fanatic podcast. My name is Gavin Lumsden and I'm joined today by Nick Montgomery, Head of UK Real Estate at Schroders, who's braved the mid-July heatwave to reach our studio in Vauxhall. Nick, good to see you. Hello. Uh, now, you oversee around £10 billion of property investments uh, in your job, but you're best known to us as the manager of Schroeder Real Estate, uh, a London Stock Exchange listed investment trust with around £385 million of assets, I think. Correct. Uh, £385 million of NAV, portfolio yeah. of about £535 million of actual property assets. OK, so yeah, good. Well, we're going to focus on what you've been doing with that real estate investment trust Um shortly. But before we get into the detail, can you start with a short overview of UK commercial property? It's been a turbulent six years for the asset class since the uh, Brexit uh, vote. Um, Where does UK commercial property fit into an investor's portfolio today? Great question. Well, well, we would say first and foremost, income. Uh, And and over the long run, that's where the majority of your return from, from UK real estate has come from. Uh, and the strategy of Schroeder Real Estate Investment Trust, or S-Street, we may have to call it, uh, is is really built around income and paying an attractive and sustainable dividend through the cycle. More broadly, your question about where we are in the, in the market. Um, actually, it has been turbulent, but we have enjoyed a very good few years in terms of returns. Um, in fact, even over the first half of this year, uh, UK real estate on average has done a total return of about 9%, particularly over recent months against a backdrop of, of the other asset classes are performing very differently, obviously. Yeah, so we've um, seen obviously falls in the stock market, correct. so that's better than that. And your annual results from the from the trust last month yet yeah, showed uh, a strong recovery in 21, 22. Uh, the, the total investment return for that REIT was uh, the, the trust, the real estate investment trust, was uh, nearly 31%. Um, and that was up from, you know, just under four percent in the previous year. Um, you know that's good, but in common with the rest of the sector, you know your, the shares in your trust are trading thirty four percent below their asset value. That's, that's a wide discount, and um, that's indicating you know, a cooling in, in, in investor sentiment. Uh, are, are people are worrying about the potential the risk of a uh, recession because of high inflation and rising interest rates? Yeah, look, I, I, I think um, uh, the real estate market does tend to lag lag the wider uh, investment markets and you know, this time is no different. Uh, we are seeing a cooling. We're actually seeing quite a sharp um, change in, 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 in demand from, from investors. Um, but actually, we still think, notwithstanding that, the, the discount that you mentioned, which is, which is broad in line with maybe a little bit better than some of our peers at around 30%, is, is, is too wide. Um, so we are expecting um, a recession, maybe a technical recession, um, as defined uh, next year. Um, and of course, what we have seen with the steep rise in inflation and inflation being a bit more persistent than we have potentially thought is obviously rising rates. And, and if you look at you know, long run how real estate is priced, the typical reference point is a spread over the, the 10-year gilt. And we've obviously seen the 10-year gilt move quite substantially over the course of this year. And that is feeding directly through into how uh, real estate is valued. So we are expecting that values will fall this year um, over the second half, possibly by as much as 5% and and more perhaps into next year. Um, But we're not expecting anything like the the movements in values that we saw in the GFC, where values fell over 40%. In 2008, the global financial crisis, banking, credit crunch. Correct. Um, And the reason for that is because although we are expecting Obviously, uh, a, a slowdown in consumer spending, cost of living crisis, energy prices, 
um, and, and the rising rates, as we mentioned, most significantly, actually compared with the global financial crisis, as you mentioned, that, that there's far less leverage in the system. We're talking about borrowing there. Borrowing, far, yeah. far less borrowing in, in the system. So, so, for example, our net loan-to-value, so taking our debt divided into our gross pro- property assets, um, based on our most recent reported data, is at around 29%. And actually, if you look at most REITs across our investment universe, most of them are at or around 30%. Contrast that with the period in the run-up to the global financial crisis, and actually those numbers are closer to 60%. I see. So there's far less leverage in the system. So investing in real estate always involves some borrowing. So that 29 30% actually does sound quite high compared to an equity fund, but then they're doing completely different things. Th- and that, as you that, say, in the past, correct. that level of borrowing would be doubled. It is today. Would, exactly, was, was a lot higher. Uh, uh, and also across many companies, uh, and actually we are a leader in this, companies have prudently taken long-term fixed-rate debt. And so the refinancing risk, again, compared to where we were looking at the period prior to the GFC, is, 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 is different. So you've got long-term loans, so the sort of risk of you having to kind of renegotiate, uh, reset those deals, those loans, in the middle of you know, interest rates spiking up is remote. You've pushed it back. You're not going to be dealing with that for a long time. Exactly. So we have a very secure balance sheet. So as I said earlier on, the REIT has a net loan to value of about 29% based on the March values, most latest, latest reported. But about three years ago, we did a major refinancing where we refinanced our long-term loan facility which is a majority of our debt, um, from a rate of about 4.5% to a rate of 2.5% fixed for about another 13 and a half years. So that that's fantastic in terms of protecting us from what we will see, I think, in terms of rising rates. And we don't have that refinancing risk, which, again, is key to us continuing to support what is a very attractive level of dividend. Okay. And, yes, yeah, so, okay, so you've got a steady sort of uh, balance sheet. You're well positioned on terms of your finance. and But going back to the sort of economic outlook, you're relatively optimistic. You know, technical uh, recession, that's, you know, a small decline over two quarters in the, in the economy. Um, but not a kind of, not nothing like the uh, pandemic crash of 2020. And, um, you know... Not, not large numbers of voids or offices being empty, that sort of thing. Well, look, I, I, I think, I think we, we, we are uh, realistic. Growth is going to slow. Um, for the reasons I've mentioned in relation to um, borrowings across the real estate market, we're not expecting a crash in values. We are expecting a correction. And there are signs of that already within the transaction market. So, so we are being realistic and expecting that we will see a fall in values, but nothing like we believe the period uh, as you say, from 2007 to 2009. Um, I think there are other reasons why we are um, m- more optimistic than previous points in this cycle. And one, uh, another key reason is we don't have the same sort of levels of new development that we've seen in past cycles. So if you take the period, for example, from the late 80s to the early 90s, the total stock of offices within the City of London went up about 16%. If you look at the most recent four-year period, it went up about 2%. So, so although you know investors will look across London and other big cities in the UK and see cranes, in many cases, that's residential, not commercial. Uh, and so within the office markets in particular, we don't have that same sort of supply-side risk that would sit across the gap with the, the demand is there to suck well, up that we, supply. Demand, demand is, 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 is we are expecting demand to obviously respond to a slowdown in growth. Demand is already lower, obviously, because of the period post-pandemic. But actually, we are seeing a return to offices. 
But most importantly, we don't have that supply overhang, uh, which is another reason, as I say, why we think any sort of a correction uh, won't be on terms that are comparable to, 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 to previous Yeah, um, okay. Well, you're, you're sort of... Um, yeah, that, that's, it's an interesting um, uh, balance you're, you're striking there because... Uh, uh, and, and you say that the, the pro- investing in property is largely about income and the, the, the board of the investment trust actually sh- showed a, some sign of optimism in, in lifting the, uh, the dividend. So the dividends are back to where they were before the pandemic. And then in this f- first quarter, the quarter that's just gone in the, for the, f- the current financial year, the board's lifted the payout by 3%. Not a huge amount, but it's, it's, it's some sign of comp- optimism there. Yeah, I, I think, um, it's, it, it, I think it, it follows a number of steps that we've taken, which have put us in a really good position. The refinancing I mentioned from three or four years ago, uh, we've been one of few in the peer group to pursue a share buyback strategy, which we, we actually, most of that we did in the previous financial year, but that, that's, that, that was accretive and has concentrated the dividend. So you're buying back the shares in the way to try and tackle, reduce that gap, between the, 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 the discount we're talking about well, between we, the share price it, and the net asset value. Yeah, so we did most of the buybacks during the previous financial year, but actually we did it first and foremost because we thought the shares looked cheap. We thought they looked good value. And the benefit as well of doing that, of course, is if you're buying shares at a discount, you're concentrating your shares in the hands of those that are remaining. And that also contributed towards um, the being able to increase the dividend. Most importantly, though, the reason why we have been able to increase the dividend consistently over the pandemic period, having reduced it going into the COVID pandemic, is asset management activity and transactions. So we've done a whole load of new leasing transactions across the portfolio. Uh, we, we've sold some low-yielding assets. We've bought some high-yielding assets to boost income. And that's left us actually as the only company in our direct peer group who actually is now paying a dividend per share that is above the pre-pandemic level. So it's due to the host of regimes. So, and and I th- just to finish on the point about income, uh, partly as a consequence of our discounts, actually our share price today, based on the most recent quarterly dividend that we paid, reflects a, a yield of about 6%. I was going to say, exactly. So, yeah. so, we, so we think it's a really yield. attractive level, G- given the quality of the portfolio, and I, I guess we'll come on to what we own in a bit more detail shortly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was just going to ask you, since this is a focus on income, you know, could you just give us a little bit of you know, basic introduction in how you sort of analyse value uh, properties? You know, it's yeah. around the yield. So how much income um, that they're paying off for the price you've paid? Okay, so the valuation question first. So we are valued every quarter. So our portfolio is valued every three months by our independent valuer. So it's done by a third party. Um, And obviously that then goes into our interims and our our finals, which we've announced very recently to the end of March. Okay. So when we talk about income and yields, the most important measure is the net initial yield. And that's very simply your rent you're receiving today, divided into the portfolio value plus the cost of a grinder portfolio, which the values assume of about 6.5%. So, so on that measure, and this is property level only, so before any impact of borrowings, fund costs, our yield is about 5.5%. So 5.5% when you, on, on average when you buy the property? That's our current rent divided into our current portfolio value. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, um, we then move into other terms. Reversionary yield is a term that you... you That's that the I'm one sure. that catches me out. Okay, so reversionary yield is taking what the independent valuer thinks is today's market rent and dividing that into the same portfolio value. Okay? And what we can do um, 
to provide shareholders with 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 more color is we can compare our yields to the benchmark. And when we say the benchmark, we're talking about a benchmark that's produced by MSCI, and it's a benchmark that comprises um, institutional real estate assets from across the whole of the UK. It's the old IPD. The old IPD, exactly. Now, our strategy is about having a higher income return and paying an attractive and ideally progressive dividend over time. So you'd expect us to have a higher net initial yield. So our net initial yield today is about 5.5%. That's based on the March data, most recently reported, which compares to the benchmark of about 4.9%. Okay, Our reversionary yield, because our market rents are higher than our current rents, is about 6.5%. So let me just pause you there because that's, it's, it's very useful. Just check that I'm, 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 with, I'm with you. So obviously, like other forms, types of investment, like bonds or shares, you know, yields go up. You know, when prices rise, yields fall uh, if, the level of income, if the level of income is staying the same. Yes. And uh, vice versa, if, if, if prices, um, what did I say, rise? When prices fall, then yields will go up. Yeah. So is your strategy then to buy properties on uh, a, a, this net initial yield and then to do things to the property, to improve the property, and for the rents to go up, for the reversionary yield to be going up? Essentially, yes. What we have done historically... And then the the value of the property goes up with it. Correct. So what we have done historically is buy B-minus buildings, for want of a better expression, invest in those buildings, actively manage those buildings, and turn them into A or A-minus buildings. And, and importantly, what we have been doing is buying those B-minus buildings, if you like, in locations where we see higher growth potential. So we've talked in the past about winning cities, towns and cities across the UK that have got higher forecast GDP growth, places where people want to live and work, um, where you've got clusters of sectors, whether it's life science, uh, technology, media, financial services, and, and also importantly, buying buildings that have got good bones good specification, can be refurbished to deliver space that, that today's occupiers want. I think, again, we may come on to it, but I think importantly at the moment, that sort of B minus to A minus, that is evolving from an ESG perspective. So ESG being environment, social society, and governance. governance. Exactly. And I think... You're particularly for, thinking of the environment there. We are thinking about, not just the environment actually, but we are thinking particularly about delivering sustainable buildings in terms of how they use scarce resources. But whereas I historically might have described it as B minus A minus, actually we're also now thinking about brown to green. So our ability to buy buildings and apply that same very active management approach to deliver the value, but also use that specifically to try and deliver buildings that are uh, demonstrating an improvement in, in their environmental performance. Because we've got um, requirements, uh, net zero carbon requirements, goals to reach, and because people don't want to work in um, environmentally unfriendly offices. That correct. Look, we, 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 with our results, in fact, that we have just published, uh, we have made our own, f- for, for the company, our own net zero commitment. Um, and, and that's important. And, and it follows Schroders as a manager making its own net zero commitment. Um, uh, and we think that's the right thing to do. We, what are you uh, signing up to do? So we're, we're, we're signing up to uh, scope one, two and three, operational net zero by 2040. Um, So it's a demanding objective. um, And it's demanding particularly as we want to pursue a brown to green strategy where it's about the transition. So 
partly because the reality is the vast majority of the building stock around us is still going to be here in 2050. And so actually we need a solution to deliver improvements to our existing building stock more than we need to necessarily focus on building brand new green buildings, which in and of itself isn't going to solve the climate crisis you know, that my tax journey today very clearly illustrated. But actually also that brown to green transition really plays to our skills because as a team, we believe we can deliver that, that active management. So what kind of things do you have to do to go from brown to green? There must be an awful lot in terms of the construction materials, heating. Yeah, all, all of the above. And I, and I think that's why I said about the types of buildings we buy as having good bones. And, and what I mean by that is the fabric of a building needs to be able to uh, be adapted to deliver those improvements in sustainability. So, you know, the classic sort of Victorian warehouse where you've got good natural light, good ventilation, good ceiling heights, giving you the potential to put in the new energy efficient systems, the fresh air coming into the floors, um, the communal space where you can provide well-being facilities for occupiers, showers, bikes, you know, obviously battery storage in time. So it's a it's a very it's a fascinating area that's moving very quickly. But we, we do believe we've got the active management skills to deliver what occupiers want, but importantly, what we need to deliver in order to achieve that is our ambition. Yeah, OK. Well, as you say, you have a huge, huge area. Just going back to what you're saying earlier on in terms about where your overall position, you know, reading those uh, recent annual results, yeah, it was struck you know, 37% of the portfolios invested in the north and, uh, and there's zero in uh, the city of London, which you know, uh, listeners might uh, find uh, surprising. What, what, why, why nothing in the city and why so much? And whereabouts in the north? Yeah, okay. So, so um, we have owned in the city in the past. So we can own in uh, in central London. And there's one asset I'll come back to in a moment. Um, our strategy has been focused on buying above average yielding assets in higher growth towns and cities. So our northern waiting to answer that first is 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 less about asset allocating to the north in a broad sense. It's about targeting those parts of the north where we see higher growth, and therefore. If you look at our list of assets, Manchester, Leeds, we own an asset uh, in Edinburgh, a very good office asset in Edinburgh. So we've deliberately targeted those cities where you've got great universities, you've got high growth companies, high graduate retention, and, and assets, as I say, that, that we can genuinely improve. So so, so, if you, so that's why when you look at our portfolio weightings, we are higher weighted to, to the north, as you say. Um, having said that, uh, one of our biggest assets actually is in Bloomsbury. And so so following that same theme, um, obviously the infrastructure improvements that we've seen around Tottenham Court Road, um, pushing up obviously towards King's Cross, um, the life science specialism, which is really interesting around Euston Road. You know, the life science companies are now um, effectively competing for exactly the same staff that the likes of Google and Facebook and others at King's Cross have done. So, so... So that asset in Bloomsbury was bought because it was in a very interesting location that we think long-term... Is that the University of Law? Correct, it's the University of Law building. Exactly. Now, is that an, a normal office, just part of a university, or is it an actual It's actually it's, teaching, it's te space. teaching space. Right. So it's where uh, they're offering, um, obviously, law training, so all the big legal firms will, will, will send their new, new staff there. Um, but it's a fascinating site. It's a very big site that sits between Tottenham Court Road and Gower Street in a, in a, for those listeners that know that part of London, as I say, it's very near Tottenham Court Road. Um, Camden Council has something called the West End Project, where they're investing heavily in um, in pocket parks, 
cycling improvements, um, highways, general sort of traffic calming measures. And we have a freehold site, low rise, low density, where we think long term there could be a really interesting uh, redevelopment play. Okay, and well, since we're talking about offices, you know, how's uh, we've talked about the cl- climate change, but yeah, how's the return? How's that sector doing? Um, such an important sector for for generalist uh, property funds like yourself, but obviously the pandemic and working from home has really sort of changed the dynamic. Um, yeah, how's it looking at the moment? Yeah, so so I guess um, short term, uh, we've seen clearly the, the the return to the office, and we're probably down on average ten twenty percent from pre pandemic levels. In terms of price, right? In terms, in terms of um, bums on seats right. within the office. I, see, yeah, yeah. Um, I think what's more interesting is if you look at take-up patterns, unsurprisingly, we've seen more take-up of prime or well-refurbished space as tenants want higher uh, specification, both in terms of environmental but also well-being amenities partly as a means of attracting people back to the office. So we've the data shows very clearly that, that the take-up has been skewed towards assets that deliver that. And so our focus is on ensuring our assets are able to deliver that to our occupiers. And where they don't, we will sell them. And, and we sold an asset during the course of the last financial year that, that we sold largely for that, for that reason. Um, Interestingly, um, we're seeing return rates um, in better in parts of the regions versus London. So Manchester, for example, the, the stats are better, partly perhaps because of commuting patterns. You know, it's a bit easier to get in. Um, more people are driving, uh, which, which might be a reason for why we're seeing that return. Um, but overall, I think we are, you know, we, we are positive and, and actually, you know, yields for good quality offices in, you know, what we'd say is the big six regional cities, for example, you know, offer a very significant premium over, for example, multi-let industrial yields. I was going to come to that. So, yes, well, industrials uh, is a big sector for yeah. you. N- nearly half the portfolio, yeah. maybe 47% or so. Yeah, that's right. is in, yeah, so tell us, what, what is a multi-let industrial site? What is a multi-industrial estate? Mm. Okay, so, so we, we like multi-let industrial estates because you've got lots of individual units which are generally led to a very diverse range of occupiers. So it's a completely different end, other end of the spectrum from your big uh, warehouses. Correct. Let to let so, Amazon and the like. Absolutely. So, so what, what, what the market would describe as big box or mid box, where it's much more about distribution. This is tiny of box. Product. Well, so <laughs> smaller, smaller boxes. Are, and, and what we've seen off the back of the, you know, obviously the, the, the very strong tailwinds within internet retail and particularly as physical retail tries to catch up with its supply chains is very strong demand for logistics or distribution space. And we've therefore seen a supply response in that market. Okay. And, and anybody that drives up the M1 or the M6 can see that in action, you know, very significant new development coming through at the moment. Take up, well, take up has been there for it, but I think our view is that, you know, we may well see that supply gradually, um, I'll say exceed demand, but 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 we may see. It's going to be more of a more balance, balance and therefore the, the price correct. rises. The returns. I mean, you've yeah. generated some extraordinary returns. I mean, in the financial year just gone, you you were highlighting two acquisitions at the end of the previous year, and uh, they generated over forty percent. Yeah, that's returns. right. Well, it's probably just worth contrasting the point about multi-let estates because the key reason why we've been focusing on multi-let estates is partly because it's given us a high yield, because it's typically uh, higher yielding than buying big boxes let on long leases. But but also, 
if you're an owner of industrial land, if you're a developer and you own a big piece of land on a motorway junction, you're going to probably um, find a pre-let or you're going to build a big box expecting a letting to an internet retailer or, or as, as along the lines I've described. Very few people are developing small multi-let industrial estates because there's been the ability to build big ones, but also because you can't get pre-lets. Because most tenants on our multi-industrial estates want to be able to see it before they lease it. Okay, and so that's that in contrast to the rest of the property sector where people are prepared to sign the dotted line before the, correct. the property and, exists. And, correct, and so as a result of that, we have seen um, much lower levels of new development within the multi-let industrial market. And so that's another reason why we focused on it. And so actually, although, well, although we are expecting... Um, values to at least i say fall but i but i but i think we will probably see much less industrial values on average fall a bit we are still expecting to see uh, rental growth coming through because of that su- within multi-let that supply and demand imbalance yeah and um, notwithstanding the sort of uh, uh, recessionary or economic pressures yeah and, 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 and yes that's right because of this supply and demand imbalance you know uh, uh, and because um, if you own good quality estates close to major conurbations, um, A, you've got good demand, undersupply, but actually also, interestingly, you can turn them into other things. So when I look at our industrial estates, you know, we've recently turned a unit into a gym, we've turned units into car showrooms, you can turn units into quasi-retail. So you are really at the lowest value land use still for some of those multi-let estates, um, which is why we think there's still, uh, you know, long-term, really, really, really good potential. Interesting. Look, you've been, you know, we've had a great conversation so far. You're t- telling us about how you value properties. You've given an update on some of the key sectors, and, we, and we've talked about um, what you're doing in terms of environment and, and climate change. One other big topic today, of course, is inflation. Mm. So, yeah, just we, we, we could discuss that for a little bit, because I was struck from reading the results again that 10% of your leases are actually linked to... Um, the consumer, no, the retail prices index. Yeah. I thought it w- would be higher because there's a lot of focus on you know funds trying to match or offer real returns ahead of inflation. I thought there would be a greater linkage to to inflation in yeah. your portfolio. Yeah. So, so I guess the first point to note is still the vast majority of leases across the UK real estate market are linked to open market rent views, as we would call them where typically every five years there is a rent review where you have the opportunity to negotiate a new rent with your tenants rather than there being a hardwired link to RPI or some other inflation measure, CPI, for example. Um, Having said that, um, an increasing number of occupiers are taking RPI or inflation-linked leases. So so, so that, that is a trend. Um, but, for example, on multi industrial estates, in many cases, your leases are, you know, five years or less. So you may not even have rent reviews. And so where we have inflation linked reviews, it's more often where we are doing major lease restructurings or major new leases with bigger occupiers where we are able to negotiate that within, with, within the lease. And so that's why, as you say, when you look at our portfolio, about 10% is linked to inflation of one form or another. RPI, CPI, but actually also because um, sometimes it just ends up being negotiated in this way, we may also uh, have, for example, fixed uplifts. So again, instead of RPI or being an open market negotiation, there's just a number, 2.5% per annum, for example, or, or 3% per annum compounded, typically then calculated and, and, and rebased every five years. 
and that part of our portfolio is about 15%. So standing back from it, about 25% of our portfolio has rent views where there is some form of hardwired uplift. Okay. I suppose the, the main thrust of my question was that you, you may only have a quarter that's you know linked uh, directly or indirectly to inflation, but you are aiming to beat inflation, to offer a real return. Uh, absolutely. And, and if you look at the rates of growth that we've seen from our industrial assets, um, even over the last 12 months where we've had a more elevated inflation, in many cases, our, our, our rental values have gone up by more than that. And, and, and long, long run, if you look at long run real estate, since the 70s, annual nominal average rental growth has been about 5.5%, which, which broadly speaking is bang in line with where RPI has been over the same period. And, that, and that's why we would say that real estate as a sector generally is a partial inflation hedge. And I then within that, your strategy is of you know, buying properties that, that uh, maybe have some issues, cheaper properties, refurbishing them and letting them at higher rents. That's right. But, uh, but it's also, I guess I'd make two more points as it relates to, to, to sort of inflation protection. First of all, as I said at the start, if you look at our rental yield both in today's terms, but also that reversionary rent I spoke of where we're looking at market rents, we have a very significant premium over the average for UK real estate. So when, when potential shareholders are looking at us against our peers, I, I'd recommend that they look at how our rental yields compare with peers because we have a lot more poten- income potential just within that uplift from today's rents to market rents. Yes, okay? and, and those expected market rents, those are also being assessed by an independent... Correct. Auditor, correct, and 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 so 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 there's we think there's a that's a real benefit in an environment where um, a there is that inflation, but b where we are expecting to see a slowdown, we have more of a cushion, if you like, than than, than many companies um, portfolios in our sector. The other point, which we touched on briefly, but I think it is a really important point, is the refinancing we did a few years ago is the best protection really that we can have, because. We are seeing rising interest rates, but because we've locked in the vast majority of our debt for over 13 years at 2.5%. You're not too bothered where interest rates are going. Well, we don't have that refinancing risk, you know, and so we're locked in at 2.5%. If we were trying to refinance, not our portfolio, but any sort of a portfolio at the moment, you'd be well above 4%. So, so that, that, that does give us that protection if we do see, as I think we will see, you know, a rebasing of yields off the back of what we're seeing in wider markets. Yeah. Okay, Nick. Well, it does sound like it's leaving you in a good position. That's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. But thanks very much for uh, explaining how the Real Estate Investment Trust at Schroders works and, uh, and the rest of the market as well. Thank you. Thank you.